Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. I hope you're having a great day, and welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi a better place to live, work, and play. Today is a continuation of my commitment to celebrate coastal Mississippi entrepreneurs who are doing extraordinary work. We have, we're having a Coast View session today with Mark Henderson, a man who describes himself as a serial entrepreneur. Welcome to the studio, Mark. Thanks. Really appreciate you having me on. It's great to have you here, man. You're, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. I think as we get into this, people are going to really see that. Uh, you know, Mark, you actually wear a bunch of different hats, don't you? I do. <laughs> You're an entrepreneur. Uh, you co-founded with your wife, Leslie, Mississippi's first brewery, Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company. You also co-founded Log Linear Group, which is, a, which is a company that designs sophisticated radar systems and communications equipment. You are a design engineer. You're an inventor. You own multiple patents um, on acoustics and radar systems. You're an artist. You are deeply concerned and care about our community. So at the end of the day, man, you're a very interesting and talented man. And one other thing I want to share with you. When I studied you, I couldn't help but think about Elon Musk in the sense that he's an inventor. He is an entrepreneur, an engineer, a philanthropist. His mind is constantly running wild with you know, solving you know, really sophisticated engineering solutions. And he's also using all of his knowledge and capabilities to solve problems in our society. I wondered, actually, as I was studying you, <laughs> does your mind run wild? I like to think so. Uh, I, I guarantee I'm, I'm not nearly as successful as Elon Musk. <laughs> and he's done just an amazing job of being able to monetize uh, ideas, right? And go, hey, look, I want to get to Mars. And then everything he does, right, is around that. My thoughts aren't quite that big. Uh-huh. You know, Leslie and I said, hey, look, we're going to stay in Mississippi and we're going to do our best to make this a better place. And so in that sense, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. I've got a million ideas about how we need to change and how do we get better and how do we integrate better and all those kinds of things. And the more you learn, the more ideas you have because the dots continue to connect. And it, how do you keep up with just, it all? Just, I mean, you get engaged, right? So <clears throat> Gulf Coast Business Council, uh, I did their master's class. Right? I've done coastal, uh, you know, Hancock County leadership. I've done Mississippi leadership. I mean, every one of those little dots, right? You connect a few more pieces, right? You get a little bit more engaged. You, you learn a little bit more about what the state has to offer and where it lacks and, and man, how to fix it. Yeah, it's so, so, so cool. So you're an artist, which is typically a right brain person. You know, a right brain person is visual intuitive. They see the whole picture yep. and then they break it down to the little pieces. Whereas an engineer typically is a left brain person. They're very, more analytical, more sequential in their thinking. They see the pieces. And then they construct the pieces to create the hall. My sense is you were probably born a left brain person. But because your mother owned an arts and crafts store and had you involved in art like as young as five years old, she helped develop the right brain in you. So, you know, I was just curious. Do you ever think of yourself in those terms? You know, I said, yes. I mean, you know, the right brain component. One of the crazy things about the right brain component 
um, is that the left brain side of you, when it starts seeing you do right brain activities, gets bored real quick, right? It starts being very, very critical, right? <laughs> and it's always it, the, the left brain is that side of your voice going, man, why don't you just, just draw a stick figure? Just be done with it. So right? you're a walking dichotomy. Oh, my God. Uh, my wife would absolutely agree with that. <laughs> so you said something once that I thought was really cool about how you bring engineering and art together. This is what you said. Part of what makes art is special is that they, ha- they understand their media so well they can use it to realize their vision. In that sense, engineering is no different than art. And I would add, actually, this. Mix your art with your engineering and then mix that with your entrepreneurial talents and your passion for coastal Mississippi, and you cannot help but work towards solving challenges in our community. Is that fair? No, that's absolutely correct. So yeah. in, this, in this conversation today, we're going we're gonna to get into those pieces. But I want to remind people what an entrepreneur is and, um, and then you know, ask you to kind of respond as it relates to this. An entrepreneur is a person who takes significant financial risks to realize their dream, to create and to run their company. You, know, you learn to deal with obstacles. You learn to deal with and learn from failure. Is that something that sounds familiar to you? Uh, yeah, I, I think that would be fair, right? <laughs> I told my son actually this week, I said, uh, I said uh, Odin, I said, uh, we our Henderson little enterprises here that we've set up, right? We have more luck than any other family. Mm-hmm. And about 10% of it's good. <laughs> well, and you got to figure out which, you know, and you got to grab that and run that's, with that's it. That's right. You, you take the, the good along with the bad, right? So uh, is there a story that best, that best demonstrates your understanding of how to overcome obstacles and, you and, know, yeah, so we, we got started uh, January of 2005. So in, in terms of our entrepreneurial pursuits, where Leslie and I had sat down, we said, hey, look, we're going to start a brewery. We're going to do all these things. Uh, for those of you that remember, January of 2005 uh, was exactly the wrong time to start a business. Hey, before you go any further, yeah. Leslie is a chemical engineer, and she's, she could come and do a whole segment just by herself, couldn't she? Absolutely. Yeah, So so I, and you know this, I mean – I. Many, many years ago, right? Uh, Leslie and I won together. Uh, uh, was it top, top 40 t- under top 10 40. Or 40 or top yeah, 40 yeah, under yeah. 40? Top 10 under 40 at the Sun Herald. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And I th- you did that yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, we're the only people to have ever gotten that collectively. So yeah. Leslie and I are 100% a partnership, but she is absolutely much more uh, beautiful, uh, much more intelligent, much harder working. Uh, and much more interesting than I am. No, thank you. She'll appreciate that. So, <laughs> and maybe one day we'll come back and, and talk to her. Yeah. So, so anyway, continue with your story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, 2005, worst possible time, January of 2005, uh, we started business. Uh, we got all the way to August of 2005. Uh, we, we had encountered a pretty significant obstacle there when Hurricane Katrina wiped out all of our business. And uh, I'm reminded of this very specific conversation that I had with a SBA. Um, SBA comes through in you know January, I think, of 2006 to say, hey, look, uh, we're here to do disaster assistance loans. And I was like, thank God, I had a disaster, could use some money. And they go, uh, all right, so we filled out all this paperwork, reams of paper, got to the end of it. He says, Mr. Nishan, I want to make sure I understand the whole situation here. Um, you borrowed a bunch of money uh, and you're actually already in our system because you had an SBA guarantee on that loan because there's only one way a 29-year-old punk is going to get a bunch of money to build the first ever brewery in the state of Mississippi. And uh, 82% of your business was on the Mississippi Gulf Coast Beach. And not only do none of those businesses exist, but the buildings they occupied no longer exist. 
uh, you uh, have spent all the money you borrowed, uh, and you have had no income for the last three months because Marines have actually occupied your building. And uh, your collateral on your SBA loan, which is your house, you'd have not actually kept in merchantable condition because it's actually in the bayou. And I was like, you know, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound real good. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, it's much worse than that. I'm actually going to have to foreclose the loan you've got. And Leslie and I were left with this very interesting situation, which was that we declared bankruptcy, which was his recommendation, and we walk away from it. And in return, we get seven years of purgatory, uh, or we could cash it all in. 401ks, stocks, sell one of our vehicles. Uh, and, and when you talk about entrepreneurship and just how deep and, and dark that struggle is, um, when you had everything taken away from you and everything that you have left, you were willing to put up on the block and say, all right, I'm willing to roll the dice on this as well. Literally defines betting the ranch. That's 100%. <laughs> it was all in. But, I mean, the, you know, the option was you can take failure today or maybe you can put failure off another week. And uh, as it turns out, the SBA guy was right. We should have declared bankruptcy and walked away from it, but we didn't. And, uh, you know, so in January we didn't sell any beer. And in February we didn't sell any beer. In March we didn't sell any beer. And, you know, here you are. You're flying this plane and, you know, you're, you're burning the house down to make heat. And, and we got all the way down to mid that year. Um, and we had some friends at uh, Serenity Gallery there in Bay St. Louis. And they said, hey, man, we know you all are struggling. If there's anything that we can do, we're happy to help. And I was like, well, could I have the gallery for a second Saturday? And they're like, uh, what would you do with it? And I was like, well, I've got some paintings and, you know, I'd be willing to sell them. And uh, so we took over the gallery on a second Saturday. And uh, I put... I don't know, I had 20 or 30 paintings, all kinds of different kinds of things. Uh, and But one of them, one of those paintings was our original logo painting. A big painting, two feet by three feet. Magnolia still shows up on some of our glassware because the only people who actually have the digital file for that are actually the people who made the glasses originally. So we keep that going. And uh, through the course of the evening, I had a guy come in, uh, probably in his mid-60s, and he said, hey, look, man, I tell me the story on the painting and I, I did my job right and i engaged with him i sold him on that painting but he walked out without it and i was pretty heartbroken and uh, right before the show closed he came back and he said you know what i will take that painting and he stroked me a check that friday right before that saturday leslie and i had written payroll checks for uh that next week uh totaling ten thousand dollars we had a grand in the bank wow and he came back and he wrote me a check for payroll. Wow. What a great story. So let's do this. Um, I want to actually talk about what that story means to you. And we'll continue to do a transition and learn about your early life uh, when we come back from the break. This is Mark Henderson, the co-founder of Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company and another company that's extraordinarily sophisticated. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. So this is Mark Henderson. We'll see you back after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I've got Mark Henderson here with me today, the co-founder of Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company and some other very sophisticated radar and other uh, types of equipment company. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But you were in the middle of the story about um, how down you were, how how financially down you were as a result of Hurricane Katrina and using uh, this opportunity to sell some of your art at a local uh, shop in Bay St. Louis. And then where we ended the story is you just sold this important Magnolia drawing that you did, uh, or painting that you did. Take, pick it up from there. Yeah, so, I mean, you gotta you got to put this in perspective, right? I mean, here, here you are. I mean, you're driving a business, and you're watching cash go down and go down and go down and go down, right? And there's... When you when you run out of cash, right, you're out of business. And uh, a great businessman once told me, he said, uh, so long as you have employees, right, so long as you make payroll on, on Thursday, you're still in business. And uh, uh, we had put that week, that preceding week, right, on Friday we had written checks and made sure that nobody could pick them up until, right, until after the banks closed so that I had at least the weekend. And I sold that original logo painting. And between that and everything else that we sold on the show, right, uh, we made payroll. Monday morning, show back up at, uh, at work, right? Lazy Magnolia, right? Got the little office, tiny little office in the middle of, you know, the back of a building. It's a terrible little place. Um, and uh, the employees were like, what happened to the painting? Because that painting hung on that wall in our office. And I said, uh, I sold it. And they said, no, you didn't. And I was like, I most certainly did. And they uh, said, nope, that's not how this works. You don't get to give away the family silver. That's You go get it back. And I said, I, I can't get it back. And they were like, no, 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 you're going to go get it back. And they rode me all day, eight hours, on me about you got to go get it. That wasn't yours to give away. That belongs to all of us. We get to look at that every day. We all lost our homes, right? We were all together in this. And by the end of the day, I had all that I could take. And I said, hey, look. I don't think you understand. I sold that painting to make payroll. And everybody was like, oh, okay, well, that's different. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, whatever it takes, man, we got your back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we went a long time without that painting. And about four, maybe five years ago now, uh, I got a call from an attorney. And uh, he says, hey, I got, I got papers for you. And I was like, hey, come on. Not the first time I've been served. It won't be the last. And he shows up and he hands me this stack of papers and I'm showing them through and I'm trying to really understand what it is that I'm looking at. And he pulls that painting out of the back of his car. And the guy that I had engaged with that night uh, in his mid-60s, as it turns out, was a retired businessman. And he was an entrepreneur in his own right. And as he would write that story back to me, he says, I had no idea if I was giving that painting a good home or if by chance it would be some miracle that would get you another week of business and that you might stack together another miracle and another miracle after that and that you might make it. And I have been so very proud to have known that I was a part of where you're at today. And he had put it in his will that when he passed away, that that painting would come back home. I'll be darned. And so that painting, uh, since that time, has hung in our tap room. Uh, we built... When we built out the tap room in 2017, we actually uh, made a spot just for that painting. And I tell that people people that story, and they're like, so would you ever sell it again? And I was like, if that was the last thing I had to sell, 
like it was that time, and it would buy me another week of payroll, I would do exactly what is required. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. So the, the painting uh, is uh, currently in the Mississippi Museum, or about to be. They mm-hmm. actually took it. Uh, so they're doing a thing on prohibition. And if you haven't been to the two Mississippi museums, it's a great thing to do. Uh, and uh, that painting will hang as part of that exhibition. Wow, that's an that's an incredible story. Thanks for sharing that. But it does it does it does say a lot about determination and tenacity and the kind of situations you face as a business person in this case obviously it was katrina but it doesn't have to be it it, it doesn't have to be that it does not it could just be sales are down it could be it could it could be a competitor's you know picking up its game the the great recession of 2008 was just as painful yeah so it kicked off uh i think it was in august as well of 2008 Mm -hmm. Uh, we went from having two weeks of inventory in the system to having four months of inventory in the system we didn't sell a beer for three months and it was all because everybody's stock market, the stock market crashed, right? Everybody's 401k went down, and they refused to go out to eat. This is one of the reasons why I want to do this, Mark, is to, is to not just celebrate entrepreneurship on the coast, but to, to educate people about yeah. the kind of risks that people are taking. It's not just financial. I mean, it hurts in every bone in your body when you're in a situation like that. And we should appreciate people like you because the opportunity that you have not only through Lazy Magnolia, but the other the other ventures that you're involved in, having any of those could take off. Any of those could create en- enormous job opportunities. And in the last segment, we'll come back to that because I am curious to know more about. Um, do you feel like Mississippi supports you the way that needs to be supported? And we'll again, we'll come back to that in the second in the se- in the last segment. But what I want to ask you about now, though, you were born in the Mississippi Delta and you were raised in Waynesboro. Tell me about that. Yeah, so my father was actually getting a degree in chemistry, getting his master's degree. He was working at Baxter Chemical, um, and he was getting his degree uh, there in Cleveland. And so my birth certificate, I was born in Cleveland. My dad uh, ended up being kind of on the military side of things, right? So he had been uh, drafted, uh, Vietnam era, uh, decided that rather than be drafted, he would go and enlist. And so he enlisted, uh, and he kind of got in that kind of habit of moving around a little bit mm-hmm. couldn't get away from the south but so he was we, we lived in memphis for a touch and lived in north carolina just outside of Asheville for a touch i still have memories of the biltmore estate from when i was like three or something mm-hmm. and then um uh, eventually made his way back down to waynesboro worked at uh, what was became northern electric company and a blanket manufacturer there mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere you know wayne county had your mother always been in the arts and craft business or is that something new for her when she's she actually got there? She, yeah. she's actually a home ec uh, major out mm-hmm. of Purdue University. Really? Um, and uh, her and my father met uh, at uh, some fort in Alabama. That She was on a college program. I don't know. It was a whole story about her picking him up at an officer's club. <laughs> and uh, they hit it off. Uh, and, yeah, I was born there in the Delta. Waynesboro is where he ended up, and I spent most of my formative years. Um, and... Uh, you know, went to school there. Uh, eventually, he moved uh, a little further over into Laurel, uh, and that was about the same time that uh, I got accepted to the Mississippi School for Math and Science, which is an absolutely just amazing and stellar program. Uh, I was it changed your life, didn't it? No, you know, it's 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 absolutely insane how there are these little inflection points in anybody's life, right? And my dad used to tell me, he said, you know. Uh, luck is, is simply being prepared for the opportunity. 
I've said, you know, I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but literally every person I talk to talks about those inflection points. They they talk about them as moments in their lives. Yeah. And the question is, you know, when your moment occurs, are you ready for it? Because people's moments occur, and the, and they're not ready. They don't see it or whatever the situation. He said, it could be it could be a relationship with a boss, and they pick you instead of that person over there, and you don't yep. think you deserve it. Yep. It could be an educational opportunity. It could be something like Katrina that changes things. But it literally changes the trajectory of your life. And, and the math and science school was that for you, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, so um, it was kind of interesting. So I went to the math and science school. Uh, they did the placement tests. Uh, I ended up in remedial math. I'm at the Mississippi School for Mathematics and Science, and they've put me in remedial math. I remember going talking to the counselor about it and saying, hey, I'm in the remedial math class. I was like the best math person in my old school and she opens up the folder and i remember looking at it and looking up over the folder at me right (laughs) and she goes uh no i i think you're gonna be just fine and so i started off uh at the mississippi school for math and science in a remedial math class between my junior and senior years of high school i went to jones junior college and i took some math classes because i clearly needed to catch up and uh, while I was there, the first day of class, my old math teacher from my old high school mm-hmm. uh, shows up to take a kind of a refresher class, right? And she's, and I'm like, wow, this is kind of interesting. Um, the light turned on finally for me right there. Mm-hmm. And I went on and uh, at the math and science school completed, you know, four semesters of calculus, a couple of semesters of differential equations in high school. Yes. And a couple of semesters of special math projects. <laughs> Then you went to state. You know, um, Mississippi State, I, I, I actually was lucky enough to start, um, and I had an opportunity. I had a tuition scholarship. I scored well enough on the ACT that I got tuition. I had to work my way through school. Uh, my parents were not well off in any way, shape, or form. My mom was entrepreneurial, but, I mean, they, yeah. you know, they would have called themselves securely you know, middle class, uh, and in hindsight, I they made gone. they made ends meet basically. They they, they that was a stretch on any yeah, yeah. Uh, in by any measure. But um, I took I took a full advantage of Mississippi State and the fact that I, I started actually with a year of classes already under my belt because mm-hmm. of the science school and went to engineering school. I uh, got a couple of degrees in electrical engineering, um, and it, it's been you know smooth sailing ever since. yeah so when we come back though i want to you know you got got out of state and you began to really kind of map out your journey around sophisticated radar and communication equipment yeah and we don't have that we could literally take a whole show to talk about that but what i want to do is just kind of hit the high points then move to lazy magnolia and then um and then i want to talk about some of your desires to improve the community When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mark Henderson, who is the co-founder of Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company, uh, right after this break. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Twitter at SuperTalkMSGC. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back. We've got Mark Henderson, the co-founder of Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company, and and really uh, almost an inner renaissance man, someone who's done a lot of important work in engineering and uh, just work in the community. But where we left off, we were, you know, he had gone to Mississippi State and um, and and done some a lot of learning at at the uh, math and science school and then Mississippi State. And now he's an engineer. He's got a master's degree in engineering. He comes back and pick it up from there, Mark. Yeah. So you know, here Leslie and I, we've started this partnership. Right. We get married. Uh, she was uh, young. I'm not allowed to say how young, but she was young, right? Uh, I was 23 at the time, way too young to be making those kinds of decisions. But, I mean, that's where we were at in life. And uh, I got a couple of job offers. One was in Huntsville, and one was uh, here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, a little company called Planning Systems. They did, worked, you know, kind of out of stennis and a variety of things. And it was both of both jobs would have been great opportunities. And Leslie and I sat down and I said, hey, look, um, what do we want to do? I mean, all of our peers were leaving the state, going to places like Atlanta and you know California. And after Austin. all, our number one export is our brain power. Num- number one, not many people appreciate just how critical that is. A true statement. Yes. And um, so we made a decision. We said, "Hey, look, we'll stay in Mississippi." And so I moved down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, took a job at Planning Systems, with defense contractor, designing you know communications equipment uh, underwater telemetry stuff all kinds of craziness Mm -hmm. and uh, did that for you know a decade got some really great opportunities worked on some really crazy technologies we built a gunshot uh, sniper detection system that would sit on your shoulder and if someone shot at you it would tell you where he was at Uh, that's actually in the field Mm -hmm. there are people who are using that today and it is saving lives Uh, we worked on a technology that allowed people to drop uh, payloads from c-130s down to the ground make sure that they would hit the right spot and uh, we've gotten letters back along the way where people have said hey look uh, i got the parts to fix my helicopter because of you Mm -hmm. and we flew that thing out of there and i mean and you know and that that touches you right right you know when you go hey look there's a guy who got to go home to his family because of, you know, the nights and the weekends and the long hours that you put in making sure that that would work when it needed to work. That that makes it all worthwhile mm-hmm. right there. You you designed sophisticated sonar capabilities that allowed you to determine the structural integrity of, of a, of a found, concrete foundation. Yeah, that was, a, that was actually part of college. Um, uh-huh. And uh, one of the problems uh, was that, uh, you know, take bridge decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so all the bridges that we have here now if i don't know if you noticed when they went in they went in with actually coated rebar mm. that's, that's a relatively new thing uh the old bridges are built with rebar uh in the middle of them that's not coated when the salt water interacts with those it'll actually uh, corrode that rebar splits a bridge deck in half and you won't even know that you got a problem until someone falls through it mm-hmm. wow that's incredible so yeah, some crazy stuff there. So you we, you actually ultimately formed your own business. Yeah, so I mean, serial entrepreneur, right? I mean, you start going. Uh, I had a this man. It was it was one of those crazy moments. Uh, so the I was working at PSI and I, I got a call from the accounting department. And they said, "Hey, look, man, what? Uh, you need to fill out a bunch of this paperwork so we can send these guys a bill." And I was like, "That's your job." And I got another call from the sales department. They say, "Hey, look, man, I need you to go on this trip. We got to go do some sales." And I was like, "That's your job." And then, you know, my boss was like, hey, man, you need to come in here and do all this work uh, because we got to get this project out next week. And I was like, we got lots of people. I can't do all of it. And if I'm going to do all of it, I'm just going to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I eventually came to the conclusion that I was just going to do it for myself. 
Wow. And so we started uh, LLG. I've uh, been working on a radar system that can see the wind. I sat in a great presentation a couple of years back where uh, a guy said, hey, look, I, I don't, there's only two ways to really solve this problem, right? You got LIDAR, you got radar. I guess there's a third way, which is that you can actually drop something through the air. Uh, if you want to do it non-contact, it's LIDAR or radar. We know that LIDAR doesn't work in the fog or the smoke or the clouds, and we know that uh, radar can't see the wind. And I was like, uh, I have data. <laughs> and I hate to ruin your argument with data, but here we go. And I showed him pictures of us looking at the wind uh, with a radar system. So, again, we could spend a whole show on that stuff. Uh, yeah. I would love to have a conversation with you about artificial intelligence. A lot of the stuff that you're working on fits right into that realm. Uh, so, I, <laughs> I actually own a Tesla. Uh, it just drove me back from Disney. Um, I will tell you that uh, the number one job, as I understand it, and I believe this is a true statement, I think the number one job, number number of people employed in this profession is more than any other single profession in the state of Mississippi, is driving trucks. And in a decade, that job is going away. Mm-hmm. That's that, that level of disruption is absolutely frightening. And in some ways, and in other ways, like, man, the day that I don't ever have to drive a car again is going to be a great day for me. <laughs> well, what is happening with, with AI is really fascinating. I'm, I, I like, I enjoy reading about it because, you know, there's all these philosophical points of view about whether it's a threat and all that. We'll save that for another conversation. Yeah. But you decided to work with Leslie to form to, uh, your brewing company. How yeah. did y'all come to that conclusion? Um, so, so Leslie bought me a beer kit for Christmas, year 2000, thereabouts. Uh, I brewed a batch of beer on it, had a great time. Six weeks later, we're popping tops on bottles. Beer's absolutely terrible. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's nothing to write home about at all. It was drinkable, but, you know, not good. A um, couple weeks later, popped the kit back out. Uh, I got about halfway through that batch of beer. Leslie goes, uh, you missed that. You didn't do that right. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you're not taking this very serious. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm drinking beer on a Saturday. And we're going to cook up a couple. Right? So is that the beer drinker in her or the chemical engineer in her? So she was about <laughs> half liver by weight at that time. And uh, <laughs> I, I got enough Native American in me that I, I, I'm a two-drink kind of guy. And she just fell in love with it, right? And next thing you know, right, we're brewing beer, three batches on a weekend. Uh, it takes eight hours to brew a batch of beer. So 24 hours of my 48-hour weekend spent supporting her hobby. And finally, one day she comes home and she says, hey, look, I'm, I want to brew beer for a living. I was like, are you crazy? And she goes, is that relevant? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And my job was then to figure it out. Of course, her thought was, as, as was mine, is that it had to be illegal. There were yeah. no breweries in the state of Mississippi. This is 2003. And we went through the process, and uh, she goes, so if it is illegal, how long has it been illegal? I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't know, 1907, I think, is when Mississippi enacted prohibition. And she goes, what do you reckon the fine is? <laughs> I mean, 100 years ago, I mean, 10 bucks would have been a big deal, right? Yeah. Maybe the sheriff comes by and picks up his check for $70 every week and a case of beer. <laughs> and I was like, that's borderline genius. And yeah. uh, so we went through the process and built Mississippi's first brewery. That's incredible. So, the, so fast forward. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of changes in niche brewing around the country. Yeah, how has that affected you guys? So, I mean, right now, I mean, the beer business is a struggle. I mean, uh, here in the state of Mississippi, we lost five breweries last year. Mm. So, in 2012, uh, I got the law changed finally, and I, I didn't realize how political that job was going to be. Right, building a brewery, um, but you know, we went through the process, got the law changed in 2012 to say that we could actually give away beer. Prior to that, I could neither sell nor give away beer. You'd only transfer it to a distributor. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that allowed a certain level of engagement we'd never had, right? Every other state at that point had the ability to engage with customers. And what I found about Mississippians is, is that they are brutally polite, right? If you give somebody something, it is always, oh, this is very nice. Thank you very much, right? It's very, it's built into our Southern culture, right? But as soon as you engage, uh, you put money in that transaction, now you can get honesty out of them. Right. As soon as you go, hey, look, uh, this is going to cost you a dollar. Uh, I don't like it that much. <laughs> I mean, it was really nice until you said I had to pay for it. And and that that actually prompted, I mean, a dozen breweries to start up in the state of Mississippi because they now had the ability to do engagement. They can actually do real R&D work, right? Honest R&D work and find out where things were at. But uh, when we started in 2005, there were a thousand breweries in the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, there are 8,000. And the big guys... They, they don't waste a moment. They don't waste an opportunity to poke me in the nose. You're like, man, how, how could the big guys even care? They do. So before we shift gears and talk about your commitment to the community, but has the competitive situation sharpened you guys? Has it made you, do you continue to do R&D? Are you doing different kinds of, sort of what's the status of that? Yeah, so, it, I mean, it absolutely does, right? I mean, you have to be innovative to an extreme, right? Mm-hmm. When you've got that kind of competition. And the future is brew pubs. There will be, uh, there'll probably be somewhere between ten and twenty thousand brew pubs in the United States, right? In the not so distant future, people like us, regional breweries, right? So when I got started, I could not have a brew pub. Mm-hmm. We located our brewery in a place where space was inexpensive, where we could focus on the things that Leslie and I do well, the engineering side of it, the quality side of it. Um, but that's that's not a future, right? The the regional brewery is going to be a very hard thing. And so what we're focused on now is, you know, innovative products. We're doing uh, a really cool project uh, that is, it comes under the brand called Richard's Rainwater. We collect rain off of our roof. We purify it. Uh, we uh, sanitize it uh, with ozone. So it's, it's never touched the ground. It's never had an opportunity to pick up anything bad, right? It uh, gets uh, purified with ozone, which is it's never touched chlorine. Ozone breaks down into just oxygen. The end of the day, right? You know, we end up with a product in there that is just absolutely phenomenal. It tastes like you have nothing you've ever had before. It's I, just a pure. I water. can't wait to try some. It's absolutely crazy. Mark would have brought me some, but he's just getting back in town <laughs> from Walt Disney World with his family. Um, but man, what a what! I, I can't I can't wait to see. You know, because yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a water connoisseur. I, I drink a lot of water. I, I, <laughs> my entire habits have changed based on this product. <laughs> So uh, we're going we're gonna to come back. This is Mark Henderson, the co-founder of Lazy Magnolia. After the break, though, I want to we're going to hit the high points on some of the community work that he's doing, and then I w- really want to ask him specifically what's the state of affairs of the entrepreneurial community and how the state of Mississippi supports the entrepreneurial community, um, and just have a conversation about that. So we'll be back after this break. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back. Uh, we've got Mark Henderson here with me, the co-founder of Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company. What a great story this has been. You know, we could go on and on about the brewing company and what you've done there, but we ha- let's shift gears. You've you've been you've been committed to, to doing work for the community. You last year you, you uh, gave proceeds to Extra Table, and this year to Hancock resource center tell me what those two mean to you 
Yeah, so uh, when we started, uh, when we finally got access to people, right, when we could actually bring people to the brewery, we started an event we call First Friday. It happens the first Friday of every month. People ask me when it is, and I go, I have no idea. It's between the first and the seventh, but first <laughs> Friday. And we said, hey, look, what we're going to do is we're going we're to make this part of the community as well, right? I mean, part of a brewery is not a, a, it's not a bar. It's a, it's a pub, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a community kind of component. And so uh, we did CASA a couple of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Court-appointed court special advocate for children, right? Hancock County at that time had more kids per capita in the foster system than any other county in the state of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And a whole series of things helped make that happen. But we got them, I mean, we raised like $10,000. Right. And this, this year you're committed to Hancock Resource Center. Hancock Resource Center, right? right? Located in Hancock County, yeah. right? You know, we, we said, hey, look, we're going to partner with these these local people, people that Leslie and I can be passionate about, whether it be, you know, the local animal shelter, Hancock Resource Center is taking care of people in our community, right? Exposing them and say, hey, look, you know, you're down on your luck. Here's your opportunity. I've been down on my luck, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I know what that's like. I've been flat on my back and said, hey, man, if someone would just give me a hand up. Well, good for you guys. And Mark, I said at the beginning that when you have all these skills, you can't help but focus on a community problem. We could spend two hours talking about your Clearwater Beach project. Yeah, I loved that you shared that with me, and I read it in, in great detail. Just give the headline on that, and then we're going to shift gears. Yeah, so the Clearwater Beach program, and WLX did a little piece on this as well. Um, and you can find some more information, and I'm happy to share anything that, that people are thinking about. But here's fundamentally the idea is that when you travel to the United States, right, and people talk about the coast, they go, hey, look, we don't, we don't have the advantages the Mississippi Gulf Coast has. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you have the beach. And all of us here go, uh, maybe. And so the idea was fundamentally say, how do you do, how do you, how do you create a beach in South Mississippi that is a tourist destination, that is economically sustainable, that is environmentally conscious, and, and then ticks off all of the boxes? And given you know the Corps of Engineers and the Bonnie Carey and all those kinds of things, I say we absolutely have to defend ourselves. Anybody that's interested in more information, happy to reach out. And, and you've developed a plan to do it, and it's, it's a fascinating plan. I look forward to having more conversations about that. When I was in New Orleans, we had uh, Idea Village and other entrepreneurial groups that were focused on the entrepreneur community. We had Entrepreneur Week, where everyone came together, and they took venture capital and they married them with with people who have great ideas and they help them foster an an environment um texas has programs that are focused on entrepreneurs yep so to what extent do you believe mississippi on a scale of one to ten maybe i shouldn't do it that way but i'm curious (laughs) do you think that mississippi is doing everything they need to do to support the entrepreneur community so i will tell you that the institutions of mississippi are doing a lot of the work that they need to be doing right i mean there, there are a couple of things that you can stand out so i'm on the innovate mississippi board um and man we struggled right i mean we've had our funding cut several years in a row and and that in the innovate board oversees a variety of programs engages with entrepreneurs right and, be, and behave behaves as an organization to bring entrepreneurs and seed the people all together right i mean you got to get everybody in the room having the right conversation at the right time and so in some ways, yeah, I mean, the institutions are doing a good job, but Mississippi by and large, and, and I'll say the population does not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all you got to do is, I mean, we, we struggle with access to capital, mm-hmm. right? When I tried to fund a brewery, I could not get the money that I needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you go, hey, look to friends and family, I mean, let's be honest, Mississippi's poor. And all of our friends and our family, they're also poor. And you go, hey, look, I need, I need $100,000 to do this. And they're like, oh, man. I mean, we're family and all, but, you know, I don't have that kind of money. And you go places like Austin, Texas, 
I've watched uh, the guys uh, over there that can go raise money, right? $5 million, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they turn the crank on the machine, people throw in money, and they go build businesses. And we're left here bootstrapping it. It's a hard, hard road, that's for sure. Yeah, that's, the, that's the magic of Entrepreneur Week in New Orleans. It's similar to what they do in Austin as well, yep. where, where you're, it's, not, it's teaching entrepreneurs how to be entrepreneurs. It's, it's finding the great ideas. And then it's about seed capital and, and marrying all those people together. So that so that a lot of the guesswork, there's always going to be risk associated right. with it, but they're they're evaluating the plans in such a way that they can get to an outcome that potentially puts in a position where they can they can be funded. That's right. Um, you know, so I hope maybe what I can do, and maybe this is what you think, I don't know, uh, is continue to focus on people like you, ha- continue to have the conversation around entrepreneurship to make this the video that results from our conversation available to people in the know who can think about it and say, you know what, there's more we can do. There's, yeah. we, we need, maybe there's, there's, maybe there's a lot more we can do. Because if we don't want our brain power to be our number one export, if we want export, we, and we want our brain power to stay here in Mississippi, we have to find ways to incubate that. That's right. And, and I, mean, I mean, fundamentally, I mean, so here's an interesting observation, right? The, the capital city in the state of Mississippi cannot so support a brewery, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, why is that? And what you have to do is you have to look around in the community and you have to go, hey, look, you know, go to your house, go to your fridge. How much of the stuff in your fridge, in your house, was actually made in the state of Mississippi? Yeah. When I go to Texas and I go to sell beer, um, the first words out of a bartender's mouth is, are you from Texas? Wow. I have heard that comment. We want people to say, are you from Mississippi? That's right. You how gotta, do, how you do we do that? you got to give Mississippi that second <laughs> shot, right? I mean, if it costs you an extra 50 cents or an extra dollar, you got to be willing to say, look, you know what? Because they live down the street, because they pay taxes in my area, mm-hmm. I'm willing to do it. Mark, thank you for joining me today. This has been a fascinating conversation. Appreciate it. I love what you're doing. I'd love to get inside your mind for a minute. <laughs> Nobody deserves that. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> to, see, to see what that is all about. Anyway, this is Mark Henderson from uh, Lazy Magnolia, and it's been a, it's been a real inspiration. A Tomorrow, pleasure. we have Bill Holmes Sr., a coast ca- uh, character uh, from the Coliseum. We'll see him tomorrow. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.